Well, we're taking 2024 seriously. Good morning. 23 was chill. <laughs> 24 is a little bit more. Soccer Mom Sunday coming in hot on a Sunday morning. A little gangster. From Mellow Mushroom again. I know Sunset Hills this time, but like all are good. The pizza's good everywhere. Yeah, we've been uh, recording quite a few here. Not only uh, this show, but... Uh, soccer dads. Yeah, I saw you guys last day. night yeah. on the Honor Court. I was meeting an athlete here that is 14, a volleyball player, considering doing some mindset training. And we were sitting over there, and you guys were here. And I almost came over and like tried to mess with your podcast, but I was like, I don't know the guest. <laughs> I'm not doing it. <laughs> Total gentleman. The guest was Larry Holser, which at the time of this uh, that will episode, have dropped. It will have been soccer out there. Dad, and you'll want to go check it out because he, what a career. The dude, I mean, literally played in every major market. Man. Uh, traveled with the Cosmos to South America and had personal tour of Pele's house by Pele. Um, super just crazy stuff. You know, you've talked, you guys on the Soccer Dad Pod side have talked to so many, right? Like you're 100 something episodes in. Yeah, too many. A lot, a lot of time no. together. <laughs> but does anything surprise you anymore? Like, because you've talked to like, what you say, the, the guard, you know, the old guard and all like the people like him that have had so much history. Does anything surprise you anymore? I, I what, okay, so there's <clears throat> from a story standpoint, no, because after you talk to guys like <laughs> Don Ebert and Denny Vanninger and, and they tell those Mr. McDermott, who has his, you know, psych, soccer yeah, and Pete encyclopedia, and Al Trost, and it's like the stories they have about who they played with, where they played, the experiences, the crazy shit, the, the locker room stuff, the lockouts, all of that, nothing surprises me anymore. What surprises me, though, is kind of the, the, the underlying, like the, uh, the motive, the desire, when you start to extrapolate characteristics amongst all of them, from all of them, you start to see a common theme that... Is not only definitive and defines great athletes in general, but particular St. Louis soccer players. Interesting. They all have a story and an upbringing that's pretty close. I mean, it's a little chippy, like that a little Venn diagram. Gritty. Yeah, that Venn diagram is pretty close to a singular circle. That's interesting. <clears throat> so that's that's you what could I'm be from like. anywhere in St. Louis, right? I mean, really. I mean, even like the East Siders, like myself and some <laughs> of our guests from. Granite and Collinsville, etc. It doesn't matter. A, a, a Steve Trichu, mm-hmm, obviously, mm-hmm. he's pretty successful. Right. Grew up, you know, in the middle of a steel town. You have half of the St. Louis Soccer Hall of Fame grew up in Florissant, North County, right? Right. You know, and, and you go anywhere around the area, it's the same stories. Yeah. It's the same type of parents. It's the same type of, I always played up. I was always grinding yeah, into right? the ground. Even here on, on, on Soccer Mom Sunday side. You exactly. Know, which, which of the female athletes that played soccer anyway didn't play up? Most of them did at yeah. some point. Yeah, and I think that to, to round out the, to answer your question, I think the what I've learned or what I'm not surprised by and what really I think people should lean into from both shows is if you have kids, if you can find a way to get the kid over the hump and be like, oh, those are nerdy old guys or I'm not listening to Soccer Mom. It's it's a lesson. It's yeah. these the, these individuals that we have on these shows, they've done it, mm-hmm. and all of our next gen want to do it, mm-hmm. and they're still trying to figure it out. It's a cheat sheet. Yeah. Here's a map. Yeah, for sure. And you don't have to read. For just sure. Put on your headphones. For sure. You just listen. I think so. consi- considering also old soccer, 
different name that Soccer Dad Pod recorded from the ambush game because I yes. I was like, I'm going to buy tickets and try to heckle you. And it didn't. I didn't really get to heckle you, but I did enjoy watching you and Jared work. You did bring beer. I did bring that beer. That was very but diplomatic. You had your you. own. You had a whole no, bucket. No, no, I'm like, no. why did you ask for beer? The bucket was half empty. <laughs> So that was a refill. <laughs> so that was great. And so me and my two daughters came and they had a great time. Of course, it's fun. Harper really just, her life was complete when she got dipping dots. Oh, oh my yeah. God. And then Jared wanted a bite and she said no. And that was their introduction. And I think he liked it. So, <laughs> okay, total tangent. <laughs> dipping dots is... I don't understand them. It's weird. It is weird. Have, have you ate it? Yes. Have you tried it? Yeah, I don't, like, they're fine, but I'm not like, ooh, I got to go have me some I've dip had, I've had one spoonful. Yeah, that, that's pretty much and it. And I will not have two. My kids love them, and they are very expensive. It's weird. My it's end of like, the line was forever long. I'm like, really? But the beer line was shorter, so I was good with it. <laughs> so we're projecting out into the future. At the time of this drop, it is the new year. Um, have you reconsidered resolutions? After our last conversation with Kelly. With Kelly, yeah. I mean, not really reconsidered um, in terms of, you know, taking care of myself. I've been on a mission for a while, actually. So it's not just for 2024, but I'm, I was raised a, uh, I, you might not know it, but I'm a huge people pleaser. And I'm no. trying to, and, and I'm trying, you know, when, when Harper, when my little one is so completely in herself, I mean, she doesn't like something, she'll tell you, right? She She's like... Jared's like, fourth. can I have a bite of your ice cream? She's like, no, it's mine. And yeah. I don't know you. <laughs> I'm like, and with no apologies, no, not a people pleaser. So maybe it sounds awful probably, but be a little bit more selfish and do the things I want to do that, that, that fill me up and don't maybe like take everything away. I like that. A so. little, a little <clears throat> gin, soccer mom, zen, there we go. me time. Yeah. Like recording today. We're actually doing two recordings today. Like that fills me up. I have a great time. It's, it's your time. That's right. And then all these notifications I'm currently getting, like, can you pick me up? So this is the last day of school as we're recording. It's like, no, I can't. Sorry. Ask no. dad. There's been, another three-letter word in the house, and his name is dad. Yeah. And your brother drives now, too. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and Call uses my gas money. So <laughs> cool. get him. But I guess, it's, should we get to our guest? I think we should get to our guest. I think it's Because <laughs> it's, it's, I've been asking her for a while. So you might know on X we've done soccer, uh, St. Louis Soccer Report. And we've had Katie Shields on before, and she is definitely one of the guests where I'm like, also, by the way, I have, we have, I have a, a podcast. I have a sidecar. I have a side, I have a side gig. And then I get them to promise, and I'm like, remember when you said, hi, Katie. Hi. <laughs> Great to be here. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thanks for having me. So if anybody doesn't know, and so shame on you if you don't know, Katie Shields is the head coach of SLU Women's Billiken Soccer, who had a kick-ass year. I know. I know and I see the kind of like the... Like a little bit of the disappointment because, of course, any competitor is like, we wanted to go all the way. The Sweet 16, Penn State, and what a season. Yeah, you always want more. I know. Okay. You know, unless you're Florida State, uh, you always want more. So and when you talk to coaches, JB, is this the theme too? That they're like, yeah, that, that was I know awesome. That, I mean, they but... could win it all, and they're still like, yeah, we could have <laughs> let in fewer goals. <laughs> but 19 3 and 2. Um, the couple of times I had talked to you on X, I was just looking back at some notes, like starting out with, hi, BYU, boom, let's, let's, let's go big and figure out where we want to improve and then working on those improvements by the time you and I talked in October again and then getting as far as you guys did. 
Yeah, it was, uh, to be honest, the, the Sweet 16 was a destination that we had talked about a lot trying to get to in these last few years. Um, it's a place the program never been before. And so by all external accounts, it was a very successful season. Uh, sixth consecutive championship in our oh conference as well. Uh, top 25 ranking throughout the season, multiple Americans. So all these wonderful you know, things. But as you mentioned, we played Penn State in the Sweet 16 and we were winning the game with three minutes to go and oh. ended up losing in overtime. So again, there's a there's a fuel, you know, still burning. But I'm really proud. We as you mentioned, we opened up at BYU, who ended up in the final four this year. And so we, we really did put our women against the best of the best. I was say, you said at that moment, because I think Nate and I had asked you, like, you know, was, was there a purpose in that? You're like, absolutely. That's that speed of play, the way they play. That's we want the girls to see the ladies to see what that's like. And we want to also expose where we need to work on to get there. And there's a lot of, and here's why I say this. Uh, my son is in the, hey, there's a league I didn't know, E64. There, there's always new oh, leagues. Yeah. I don't even understand We know that, that. one, yep. Okay, yep. and he, they, they played like the Toka. I think they're like the, can, but they were like champions. And so Liam's little JB team is good, but they got spanked. They got spanked into one. And, and Liam, I asked him, I said, what, what was something? He goes, they're so fast with, and I said like, fast? He goes, no, like all their plays are fast. And, and I think it was an eye-opener. Some parents were like, oh, my God. But others, such as George and I have been around, were like, it's good. This is good. Like, it's good to find out where you need to be. And you want to be realistic. Uh, you know, I think a couple years ago, we weren't ready for a BYU in the non-conference. We actually, in 21, we lost to Rutgers in the round of 32, 4-0. We got spanked. Ooh. And, uh, you know, I remember a lot of our women were very young. They were freshmen. Our current team, they were freshmen, sophomores in the program. And we sat in the huddle after Rutgers. We said, that's what we're chasing. Because then Rutgers went to be a Final Four team. And so been very intentional about putting them in these situations. But really quickly, you know what you have, what you don't have, and how you need to grow quickly over the next couple months in the season. So I got a question for you because I'm kind of like, I'm looking at the numbers. I, I love metrics when it comes to head coaches. He does this and every time. He really likes it. <laughs> I, I do. I do. And you're, you just completed your 11th season. Um, you, you've taken the team further than it's ever been. Um, you've personally surpassed 150-plus wins, um, a set, a 700 win percentage, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all this stuff. Over the 11 years... Has there been a loss that is more memorable than the one you just experienced at the top of your pile? Those early years, there was a lot, uh, <laughs> to be honest. But I think, you know, a year ago in the fall of 22, uh, we were the number two, we were a number two national seed going into the NCAA tournament. We were 20 and one record um we were you know positioned to have home field advantage in the ncaa tournament um through the sweet 16 and we lost uh, memphis came in and beat us in the first round in the ncaa tournament at home in front of th yeah. thousands of people um and we had a very we had some special women that that was their final game um in a slew jersey and that was pretty heartbreaking and i think it fueled a lot of the learning and growth the last 12 months have brought for our program, but also for myself and the rest of our coaching staff um, in terms of we 
we weren't the best version of ourselves and to not have that kind of an opportunity to get away from us again. So, so my follow-up question is, experiencing losses like that and the one just recently, and, you know, uh, Jen pointed out kind of the strategy around the schedule and your out-of-conference competition and you're pushing the envelope. How important is it to continually challenge yourself and the program by making it harder? That's what this is all about, you know, is that growth. And I think you have to know your team and what you have, what your talent level is, what your experience and your emotional maturity is to be able to withstand some of those tests. Um, and you have to know what a, a given group needs. But I think as us coaches, I will also say we thought we got out coached against Memphis a year ago. And so there was a, a lesson there as well for our preparation. I think we prepared our team very differently um, for the NCAA tournament this year. And so, you know, 11 years, you, and I've, I've been coaching since I got out of college. So I've been doing this almost two decades in college, but there is still so much growth year to year. And my, my goal and my director of athletics always says this is just make new mistakes. And I think that's what we ask of our women. So we should ask it of ourselves as well. I love that. I love that. Just that, that theme. Do you, do you impress upon the players that too then? Yeah. We want them to you know, be courageous and feel like they have freedom to be, to make mistakes and, but that they need to make new ones, right? Because there's a level of coachability and growth being demonstrated. If you keep repeating mistakes, well, something's not clicking. Right. And, and so I think, again, that's something I've, I've learned that lesson. He told me pretty early on, that was one of my best qualities was I made new mistakes. Uh, yeah, it's a backhanded, <laughs> you know, compliment for sure. Um, but it's stuck with me. And I think, again, it's how we, we try to teach our women as well. Interesting. Cause so, um, the week prior, you know, I've been bugging you to come on here for a little while. And at, at the time it was like, she's busy trying to win, <clears throat> but then you've had a little bit of time since. And I think last week when we almost hooked up, you had transfers and, and things. So you're already building for next season already, like it, that it does that it never stops right like just boom day 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 two there's a little bit of a gap I think you said no yeah there's not much something. yeah there's a little recruiting dead period uh okay. where we can't go out and recruit we can't have pros prospects onto campus but we can still talk to them we yeah, can still okay. communicate we can you know so there there's a joke in my house that <laughs> soccer never ends <laughs> um and it's it's not totally uh incorrect and so yeah I think there's you need to get some distance from the results and from the both the successes and the, the areas of growth. But it, it uh, we really quickly uh, wanted to start preparing for what's next. Yeah. So I have two questions. One is you're a soccer mom yourself. I mean, you're a mom. And I how am. How many kids do you have? I have two. And Neither they're young, one. Right? They're, they're very young. young. Yeah. I have a four year old, and they by the time this episode drops, she'll be a two year old. Oh my gosh! And so that's, that's the sweet spot, oh. according to Tom Beyer. Oh really? Yeah. I toss around all the little the the baby balls and they're you know talk about the little size ones. Uh, the we do. I, I might have stolen one from our men's program. Sorry, <laughs> Kalish. Uh, for Kalish won't even. No, he won't. Fine. He has no idea. Uh, but I really did. And uh, my uh, my four year old, bless him. Um, he's not the most athletically gifted, but he worships our women. And so we play a lot of you know oh my in, the, God. in the backyard. He probably, and they and probably he, dote on him. They're, they're they like, they hey. enjoy him. Oh my gosh! Um, but he plays. Emily Percelli is our goalkeeper, and he puts on gardening gloves. And now he's Emily Percelli all of a sudden. And so it's uh it's pretty cool to have my kids have our women as role models totally look up to but uh how do you do that is it so 
I've, we, we've had several, you know, we've had Wendy Dillinger and we've had Bree McCarthy who worked with you and, and other people who, Stephanie Gabbert, who've been coaches and know that that is, re, first of all, that's a hard job anyway. And secondly, it's particularly hard many times, I think, when you're a woman, um, you, if, even if you're, you know, whatever household you're in, many times you're a kind of a, a default parent. I know I found myself that way, just coaching youth. That's really, you got little ones too. I'm sure they get drug everywhere at some point, or you have, you know, uh, yeah, people it's a, helping. It's a maybe. village, I will say. <laughs> I'm the third parent usually, and the, the grandma. Uh, we're, we're super fortunate to have um, grandparents here in town. And again, I don't wear the heavy lifting um, by any means in our household of, of the parenting. Um, so I'm incredibly grateful for that. I will also say to work at SLU um, and for an administration who is incredibly supportive, that's unique in the really? Division One landscape of, you know, not just when I, I took full maternity leaves, that's really uncommon for a head, you know, Division One coach. Really? And that was encouraged and it was almost forced on me that I was gonna do that. And then, you know, also my staff to take the load on at that time. And again, it's, uh, it's a big reason of my loyalty to SLU is how they've treated my family and as a being a parent as gosh well. is that not like a theme for for anywhere any job right any any place that have an environment that has a culture that's like you're also a whole person and have a family and a home life and we honor that with within those boundaries you also get more people coaching which we need for sure on the women's side you do and it's it's sad i've seen a lot of women get out of the game for different reasons you know the those of us in the women's division one the niche i'm in that have have children, there's they're few and far between. And yeah. so I think I, I really again I'm grateful for my administration, but it is it's a challenge and I, I think it's also to know that it can be done because for a lot of years there was no model ahead of you doing it. Yeah. Um, the the second one was the first time that I I sort of met you more like a wave. You were running <clears throat> Marin is fifteen. She was probably six or seven. And you were running, you know, like summer camps, right? Summer camps, uh, they got to go play some soccer, bring your swimsuit, they're gonna go jump in the pool and then go play some more soccer. And they work with the the women, the girls, the mm -hmm. women, which she loved because to her, they're they're just as good as any pro. They're like, oh, she's like, oh my God, they're amazing. Um, and to come this far and now she's 15, it, she just did her first college showcase, which I'm like, you're a freshman. Don't be offended when nobody's watching you. You're good, you're good. Just, just go out and like have the nerves and practice. Is, is having, obviously you have to look at talent everywhere, but having the homegrown important in, in, a, in a town? It's, I think it's one of the most important qualities that determines a, a program success. Um, and it was a big reason that went and came to SLU 11 years ago, uh, saw the opportunity was how good the players for the city of St. Louis' size and how much quality there was in the youth. Obviously there's so much tradition on the men's side at SLU, but on the women's side, I mean, the quality of player that's produced, we knew if we were going to get to the place of, of elite status of where we've been able to build this, that we would have to have St. Louis's best uh, choose us. And not all of them, but, uh, you know, a, a, a decent number. And so right away we said we want to make this a destination for St. Louis's best. And it, it took a lot of time. It took winning hearts and minds because there wasn't a great uh, perception when I first got to SLU. Um, within the community of what the quality of the soccer was. And so it's absolutely been intentional and there's been some different characters along the way who've helped us change that tide. So, so um, let's go back in time a little bit just for the listeners so that we can kind of 
create a frame of reference because so many of our guests on both sides of the fence are from the area. Can you talk a little bit about where's home, original home, your your kind of youth path, and then your collegiate experience? Because out of that, you shortly thereafter landed here in St. Louis. So can you give us a little bit of a history lesson real quick? Yeah, I'm not from St. Louis. Uh, I grew up in Southern California. We've claimed you now. So you, yeah, you're, I, you're God, I've been here. feels like I'm, I'm, I'm a St. Louisan. Uh, I'm not, but not Say originally. 44. Uh, <laughs> 44. I'm not. Close. She's not not South St. Louis. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But grew up in California, played on a very, an actual national championship youth team, the SoCal Blues. They're still very successful today. Um, Was fortunate to be recruited out of that club and a little bit the high school, but the club environment. Um, And I went and played at Harvard um, from for four years, I was a goalkeeper. Um, so finding a school where I could compete and play right away was really important to me. Uh, I chose that and obviously the education. I'm a product of two public school teachers, so that was always going to be the number one factor. Um, I had a tremendous experience playing at Harvard and as a senior there was kind of figuring out all my friends were uh, finding their big time, big salary jobs in New York or DC. And I wanted something a little different. And I was fortunate. My college coaches connected me uh, with some opportunities. The biggest one being uh, UC Irvine. It was April Heinrichs. She's kind of a legend of our game. Uh, She had just stepped down from the women's national team and was hired at UC Irvine. uh, to to, Straight straight out of school? uh, For me, it was straight out of school. I got the opportunity. I kind of butted my head in. Uh, It's kind of a wild story. It was December, so it was about this time of year. And uh, my Harvard assistant had said, hey, you're from out there, you see Irvine? Did you see who got the job? And I said, yeah, April. Yeah, it was a big name, especially at the time. And he, he said, I know April, but I'll give her a call. She's gonna need some assistance. And so he called, he called me about an hour later, he said, April's expecting your call. So I'm terrified, you know, I'm shaking in my boots. And I called her and talked to her for a little bit. And she said, uh, you know, it's great talking to you. I don't have the budget to fly you out here to interview. And I go, well, I'm going to be there for the holidays. I can come by, just force my way in. I got an opportunity. I spent about two hours with getting grilled by April. And at the end of the conversation, she said to me, she goes, you know, Katie, I had a list of about 10 people ahead of you. You're, you're number 10 on that list, um, but you've done well for yourself. I've let, I'll let you know in a week. And wow. a week later, I'm back at school in January, my senior year of college, and she called and offered me the job and said, couple conditions. I need you to come out here a couple times in the spring, and I need you to start essentially the Monday after you graduate. And <laughs> I said, done? And she goes, you don't know the salary. <laughs> and I, I don't care. You know, and she goes, well, you're graduating from Harvard. You need to, you know, you need to think about this and talk to maybe your family. <laughs> and again, my parents were public school teachers. There was no, I would have loved to be a pro. There was no pro league at the time for the women's. It was between right. leagues. And so I just jumped two feet in and um, coached at Irvine for a year. April then actually departed and went to work for the U.S. Olympic Committee. And so then I um, ended up having the opportunity to go back to Harvard uh, and be an assistant coach there. I spent a few seasons there. So so follow-up question then. um, Coaching is so cerebral. It's it's very intuitive. You know, there's so many balances of uh, managing technical knowledge, personal knowledge, all this other stuff. Do you feel that or maybe you tell me what the balance or the, the what the pie looks like uh, between 
you just had it versus you were a goalie and you saw the game for so long from really the quote the catcher's position right and then you have a harvard education how much of all of that combined what, what do you think was the biggest head start for you to become a head coach at that age well yeah, I became a head coach. So I spent a few years as an assistant at Harvard Northwestern, and then actually one year at SLU, I came originally as an assistant. Um, and I think the that pie, honestly, early on, it was hard work and a willingness to work and to learn. Um, I think I was I had an ability to build relationships um, as you know I, I, as a teammate, right, at Harvard and be a leader, but then also. Um, as a as a young assistant coach, the ability to build relationships I think paid paid me dividends. But then I, uh, over time, you know, I think that that pie definitely changes depending on the role you're in. Sure. It's a little more cerebral. It's a lot more management now. Um, early on, it was it was a willingness to work to do. Any, like I'll take you on one v one. Yeah, I'll yeah, do it. Yeah, I was going to say how, how hard was it? Um, and this is my part C, and then yeah. I'll get out of the way. You're their peer at that point. At Harvard, I was. Age, I, yeah. maturity, expectations. How, was that good, bad, stumbling block, something to grow off of? Did it create uh, faster relationships because you were more on par um, socially, emotionally, etc.? I think early, so that Harvard, those three years as an assistant, I was coaching women that I played with. And... That can be, I mean, that's a challenge. I had to draw a line socially. I was no longer there. I was their friend. You know, I was a confidant, but I, I couldn't be with them socially anymore. I had already, you know, by the time I was a senior, I was a captain of the team. So I had already held a level of influence and um, leadership. And it, it obviously shifted pretty quickly. And I think that's one of the young, the challenges for a young assistant is whether, whether it's at your alma mater or not to draw that line and and really develop your professional reputation out of that. And so I, I had really good mentors that helped me um, draw those lines pretty clearly. And then I think it was an asset, especially in recruiting, um, because at the end of the day, when you look at that pie of college coaching, about 80% of it is your ability to recruit. And the other 20 is everything else. And so to get my recruiting feet under me, being young and similar age and look at it through a player's lens, I, I do think was a, it was a huge asset. That's a different skill set, right? It's one thing to play the game. It's one thing to even assistant coach the game and a whole nother to try and convince somebody this, this is your kind of sales job. Absolutely. And, and I'll be honest, like I had about as easy as you can get. My first job, I'm like, essentially I'm selling my alma mater and it's also Harvard, you know? And so it, that was a little more being selective rather than selling. Um, but yeah, it, it, uh, it is, I think it's the lifeblood of the college game. And it's my number when I'm now as a head coach hiring assistants, it's the thing I want to know the most is how are you going to help me recruit recruit right and i think that's uh that was the lesson i learned immediately and it, it paid off for sure so i'm gonna harp on this again because it's so it's important to me is being somebody who and most i would say many women my age grew up being coached by fantastic male coaches like i, I had fantastic male coaches very few until i got to lindenwood debbie washburn coached me at lindenwood and and, and she was really hard on us uh, but um she, in, in the best way, right, pushed us in a way that sometimes I look back and I'm like, nobody ever pushed me that hard. Um, 
how important, you know, I've got kids in, in the youth game, still one in the GA, so we're kind of in a little bit, you know, in this phase of what do you want to do next? But it, many times you've got these programs, and I'm not just talking about St. Louis, anywhere where it's like, we're a girls program, a girls program, and then, you you know, maybe sit in a parent meeting is like seven, you know, very young, bright, like probably awesome players in their own right. Um, and I'm like, where are your women? <laughs> like, it, and so I, I think in the men's game, you talk like men's legacy of coaching, you know, and then like you said, you were kind of, called by a, a guy to be like I, you should you that you could check that out that mentorship and like pulling pulling up uh female coaches is that important at all or is it think that'll time will solve that it's so i mean i've been in the college game 20 years and it, the needle has not changed much and i actually think the ratios are worse in the youth game uh in terms of women coaching women yeah. um you know there are some really bright spots out there um obviously Lufus uh had had one um as well but it's I do think I wouldn't be in this profession if a older six more successful female coach hadn't you know kind of grabbed Said, onto me go. and gave me my first opportunity and then you know from there had other women promote me or put me forward um and I even got the job at SLU because some some of the top women in the college game really kind of stuck their neck out for my AD and said she's ready she she should be your coach um and so I do feel I now feel some of that responsibility I'm not where they are um but I do feel that responsibility for the next generation and I I you know I'm hopeful as becoming you know being a mom and, and doing that becomes more possible stuff. yeah or becomes more uh present you know it, it's just you can see it then i think we're opening doors but it still is a it's an incredibly challenging uh profession yeah. and so I, I think sometimes that put either scares women off or pushes pushes them out yeah so, so, so do, uh, sorry so, do one more real quick yeah go ahead when we had stephanie gabbard on because i don't want to forget this she and i off jb left he had to go to something else and and we chatted for a little bit and she was talking about a time <laughs> i mean i, I had you, you had no. another life you had another appointment <laughs> <laughs> jb's gone we did the podcast and then stephanie had kind of hung out i was like i'm hungry you hungry let's get some pizza oh we were right at the table and Stephanie was talking a little bit about, you know, she's she's a little older. I think she's a little, she's my age, a little bit older. But in her time, and it was very much kind of that same thing. She's like, we were actually in, it's funny that you say this, in, our, in my time when we were just getting out of college or in the college where she's like, we were the cool kids. Like the women coaches were the cool kids. Like she's like, we'd be at a bar and the guy coaches would be like, hey. And we're like, yeah, we're, we're too cool for you. Because it, it was a good thing to be, you could find work. It was like, yes, like they put each other forward. She's like, even our male counterparts would be like, you should go here because they need a woman coach. And I feel like I see less of that. Just like you said, that may, maybe it's happening and I just don't see it. But there was a time I didn't realize that there was kind of a heyday and it was growing. And I'm like, oh, where'd you go? I think it, uh, there's still pockets of it. A- absolutely. I think there, um, you know, there's a, I could probably, we could probably do a whole episode on the, on this topic, to be honest, there was some of the Stephanie Gabber and I think April was of that generation of these, they were pioneers, right. And they paved the way and they were first to do any of this. They were college programs were just starting up and they, they were really heavily, you know, engaged in growing, I guess the women's game now we're seeing that generation is retiring, moving on what, for whatever reason. And there, there is a little bit of a hmm, lack of the next generation coming up, which I would think I, I am in. 
because for a couple of reasons. I think one, some of uh, my generation got promoted very quickly and maybe weren't ready for what the demands of that job is. There's also been an incredible influx of money into the college women's game. And now that breeds competition because those jobs become more lucrative, more attractive to male um, candidates. And so, and then I think there's others who, you know, the work-life demand and they've just, it's hard. My idea always says like, it's hard to get women to move for a job where men are just, we're going, you know, they kind of make the decision at times and that's stereotyping, but it, it is pretty true. And so I think, again, there's a lot of this, but Gabbert's on to something there that I, I do think that's that's happening right now. So along the lines of this this context, do you think that, because <clears throat> you're, you're 11 years in, you're going into your 12th year, clearly it seems as if there's no indication of changes anytime soon, at least I'm sure the program hopes that. Um, I'm hearing like two silos of um, uh, environment or culture that has helped create success for you in the realm of being a woman, getting that job, and having support. Obviously, your own uh, the, the the coach that brought you in that gave you the opportunity. You, you know, th- that was your immediate peers supporting you. But what stuck out to me is what you said earlier in the conversation about SLU as an institution and their support of you, their encouragement of maternity leave, maxing it out, et cetera. How, I mean, it's what I'm hearing is, I think there's a network of successful women coaches, trainers, uh, network, and, and getting to the point now of ex-pro players. You know, Absolutely. So, so the alumni numbers are growing, but if you don't have institutions that create an environment in which that can work and be supported, specifically women's needs as a mother, um, you know, things like that, is it all for naught? Because we're talking about workspace and, and, and institutional limitations at other universities that aren't as accommodating a sloop. Yeah, I don't know the exact percentage of it, but if we're just talking college soccer, you know, I think it's about less than 5% of directors of athletics are female. So you hire what you know, usually, and it takes a rare, I I have a male director of athletics at SLU, Chris May, um, but it's a rare individual who kind of veers from that. Um, And so... Again, and it's all—it's also up to the university president. So not only have they been supportive of, of me individually, but of the program's success as they've continued to grow as I've grown um, and res- and believe in the power of, of women's soccer and our um, our ability to be elite. And so again, it's it's two. You know, you're yeah. you're kind of filling into two buckets, and those are tough environments to find. Whether it's in the youth game, the college game, and I'm just fortunate to have, have landed in one. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, um, we could, like you said, we could do a whole show on this. Um, so veering off a little bit to know that, you know, my, like myself and you and, and you, JB, many of our listeners are parents, right? And so um, we've talked before. I've got a 15-year-old in the GA. The ECNL is a, a, a place to kind of be when, and there's others, you know, ways, ways pathways when you say, I want, I want Katie Shields to come out and see me or other college coaches, showcases, things like that. And then I got a seven-year-old who's just like, whatever. Um, and she's having a great, she's a good little player, but she's having, you know, and, and we're, mm, George and I are 
older parents, like on the sideline, I'm like, oh, we're experience. We're, we're not getting asked to happy hours because no, they probably experience. think we're sleeping. <laughs> and, we, and we are. But um, there's a lot of star. So seeing where Marin is at 15 and being like, oh, okay, this is what this looks like. And knowing her journey as an athlete and then seeing Harper just kind of beginning hers with the younger parents on her, our sideline there with a lot of stars. She's on a good team, Katie, by the way. They're really good seven-year-olds. I love it. Uh, and, but like a lot of stars in their eyes and being like, they're not, they're not there yet. It's good. Like any advice or those, it could be anything from the physical side to the mental side or kind of like having your enthusiasm, but also tempering it a little bit with reality of it's still a long journey. <laughs> Getting getting to where they need to be. It's a marathon, and who knows where they actually need to quote be. You know, I think the the two most important pieces of advice I'd say is like number one, it has to be fun. They have to find joy in it, and you'll find a lot of the most successful women in our program are the ones who would just go pick up a ball on their own, and they loved the ball, they loved being with the game, and it didn't matter who was with them; they were doing that on their own. Um, that indicates success because they love it and they keep coming. There's a hunger for it, coming back to it. Um, and then I think the other side is like, don't worry about the league acronyms, uh, yeah. the ECNL, the GA, the Elite 64, the USY. I mean, it's cha- it changes <laughs> I can't even every keep year. track of them all. But what I, I will say is, you know, our, we had a first team All-American this year, Emily Gaby. She's, she's Herman Trophy semifinalist, one of the top 15 players in the country. She was not. She was a aloof used product that was not in the ECNL at that time. They were not in the GA. They were, I don't know, USYS at the time. Um, we have a two-time All-American center back, Lindsey Heckel, also a local product, aloof used alum as well. Same idea. Not the not the top top platform per se that they came out of. And some of our our all-time goals points leader, Hannah Frederick, graduated a year ago. She played for the AFA Phillies. We found her playing at Hazelwood. High school, um, and so if you're good, you're good. You're gonna be you're found. gonna be fine. Um, if you love the game and you, you know, I think there's so much opportunity out there, and I think sometimes we get really focused on the wrong stuff. It's like again, find a place and a a team and a coach that is that makes me happy and gives me joy, and I feel challenged. So, so let me ask you then about uh, the recruiting process and really kind of your your take, your optics as the coach and and you have your staff that I'm sure you guys are in line with kind of style or what you're looking for, needs, etc. But can you can you speak to your generic recruiting expectations? Um, You know, I often ask coaches, trainers, the question of, you know, it, what is it in your world? How do you define it? How do you, you know, how do you describe it when you see a player that that does quote it or has quote it from a recruiting perspective. How do you define what you're looking for? Yeah, so I got to give some credit to our associate head coach, Chris Allen. He's also a recruiting coordinator. He's been with the program uh, eight, eight going on nine years. And we've grown this side by side, almost two head coaches. And so him and I obviously have, have spent a lot of time developing what our, our it and our identity is, and it's, it's evolved as we've gone. But there, the, what we always go back to is, and we have a system that we use to rate players with, but like, what is their special? They're, they have to have a special quality, and is it something that then our identity will let shine? And so 
for example, uh, we have a we had a, a midfielder in our program, a deep midfielder. They're usually pretty unheralded, just statistically. Um, but she won some about 87% of aerial duels. She's one of the best in the country in the air. And, you know, athletically, she she moved really well, but she wasn't this elite, you know, kind yeah. of quote athlete. Um, but she had this special quality and just a note, and then it also turned into goals from a corner kick standpoint because of that ability, that special that we were able to drop it into our system and she elevated the entire thing. Then we have, you know, we, we have a couple players in our front group that are some of the fastest college soccer athletes in the country um, and fast with the ball and without the ball. So they're able to dribble, they're able to stretch the game. We have one that clocks in just under 20 miles per hour. That's pretty fast for a female soccer player. Right. And so again, you're, you're identifying and we go out to any event, whether it's a high school game, a showcase, you know, a top level event, and it's just go find one. You find one special. And so we know exactly now kind of what those special different qualities. The one we're looking for right now is a long throw-in. We've never had it. We've never had it. <laughs> really? Let, it. Let, okay. let, me, uh, let me add one question yeah. to that. How important is it to you and Chris when you go out and you look at these individuals, how much are you weighing in on cadence, uh, body language, uh, leadership, those things that are not technically technical skills, soccer skills, but that that human element. How do what attitude, what do you, right? Yeah, attitude. What are you looking for on that from that side of the fence? Yeah, it de- again, it cha- it depends. I will say there's players. There's one. We have a great example of, of a woman who played for us where she was the best player in the field. She scored like I think three goals in a four-three loss, and her goalkeeper kind of had a, a howler of a game. And everybody else took off from the goalkeeper at the end of the game, and she went up and put her arm around her, yeah. kind of walked off the field, and like that right away is character. Um, teammate, you know, selflessness, all of that. And so those are absolutely qualities that we pay attention to. Um, I think in the early days of building the program, we put a lot of stock in that while we were building a culture and really trying to establish an identity of what a char- the character looks like. Now we actually, uh, we may take more, quote, nobody's huge risk, but some risks within our program. Um, because we believe our culture is so strong that convert, it, mm-hmm, and it has, and I think it's it can be transformed. Listen, this is how we is, do things. Is there, this is how we do business. Uh, is now. there a no go? Is there there's an example abs- of a no go? There's a absolutely some no go. Can, can you define? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the the biggest thing we also are incredibly detailed in our uh, our process in that Chris will spend a lot of time talking to high school coaches. And so club's an interesting market because it's pay to play. So those club coaches at the high ends, they are paid to get you a college opportunity. So they're going to sugarcoat a lot of things. The high school coaches, they don't get their meals paid by, you know, by the parents. So there we found high school coaches will be more honest than a, a club coach. And so we will also talk if the, we love multi-sport athletes, if they play basketball, my gosh, that's something. Foot skills. <laughs> and just, and you can't hide on a basketball court, five right. on five. Um, and usually they're not the best basketball player on the team. They're just a good athlete that's been, you know, is playing basketball. We'll talk to teachers at times. Um, and so I think, you know, the no-go are incredibly, they would be incredibly selfish. Um, kind of celebrating on their own when they score a goal, uh, a negative, you know, talking negative about a teammate. One question I'll often ask if we're recruiting multiple players, maybe especially in St. Louis, this is common on a similar, on the same team or from a high school, and we know the character of one of them, or maybe it's a committed. 
who on your team would you want to play with yeah. at the next level and who on your team would you not? And, you know, they kind of squirm when you ask and we say, hey, it's confidential. It's not going anywhere. But if, if there's a very high character kid that says, eh, I, don't, I don't really want to play with her at the next level, that's a no. That's a hard no for us, no matter how much it. talent's there. What about uh, parent involvement? Did any, <laughs> do, 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 do you make Have, roster <laughs> and time changes because a parent says, please, my kid needs more playing time? <laughs> Coach Shields meets quicksand. <laughs> Uh, you know, parents are lovely for the most part. I have my own. You're, we're as all parents well. here. We're, we're all parents. We all have our I, strengths. Look, I hate myself too, so it's all growth. good. Um, you know, I think we do draw a pretty hard line. Um, you know, what what I what we will talk to parents in the pro in the recruiting process. Obviously, the parents are very involved because they're still these are 15, 16, 17 year old, you know, young women making a, a lifelong decision. So of course, we do want the parent involved, and we always make the promise that. We're not going to play your kid. Promise we'll play your, your daughter 90 minutes. We're not going to promise, you know, all these different things, but we will promise that we will coach them and treat them how we would want our own kids to be treated. So Chris is a parent of three. His kids are older than mine. So we do have that shared perspective. Um, but I, I also will say occasionally a parent would like to discuss something that is not. And the things we'll discuss is your daughter's mental, physical, emotional health. So if there is a serious concern there, of course, again, as parents, we're going to talk about that. Um, if there's an academic issue that we really feel like we need to address, we will talk to parents. And then the financial component, of course, because most of the parents are the ones paying the bills, not the not the the daughter. Um, but outside of that, uh, we you know, if a parent reaches out, I usually copy their daughter on an email, or if there's a phone call, I will let the you know let them know their daughter know that mom or dad has reached out and um, I would like them a part of the conversation. <laughs> and, like and then the daughter immediately flips out and texts mom and dad and don't shuts call it my down coach. for you. <laughs> Yeah. But you know, you said it's 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 kind of funny because you segue to to Alex Pfeiffer. He's like, because you're right, college kids aren't typically paying their bills, but they're one ones can pay bills pretty soon. That's Alex Pfeiffer. <clears throat> you know, I, I one you played in the bronze boot, you know, at City Park, and I had asked you at the time about you know having that ability to play in a pro stadium at its what how great that was. And you won, which is great. Um, one having that excitement in the city for a pro team. Two, what could that possibly do to, to have an NWSL team or a pro team for women? And the, I mean, imagine the draw for recruiting and the, the we're not we're not just we can a little a little Harper can look to slew players and she's gotten autographs. Um, but also, look, there's another step there right here. Yeah, the the addition of City and City Park to our city is amazing. I think it exceeded maybe my expectation of what it could look like and the following and um you know, our ability to play city park in city park, play against SIUE. That's a, that was a magical moment for our women. We're going to have the opportunity to do it again, hopefully on an annual basis. Nice. And I, you know, again, I, I'm hopeful that an NWSL franchise will follow soon. I, I do relish a little bit right now that we are the premier ah, women's team okay. in St. Louis. Yeah. Um, and the all eyes kind of <laughs> sure. come to us okay. for, from that standpoint, but with the growth of the NWSL, it's I would love to see it here, you know, in St. Louis. Yeah. And I mean, just seeing city in JB, you have boys in city Academy. Um, you guys have soccer dad pod, but seeing their ability um, and city's willingness anyway to, like, you know, reach across to the youth game, reach across to the colleges, reach across and, and have those relationships. Um, I would imagine would be the same um, for, well, for an NWSL team and how great 
that they could, you know, kind of I, uh, synergy. Yeah, I was I was literally thinking about this last night because I was going through Insta and I was looking at all the, uh, the MLS draft was yesterday. And, you know, the first three rounds, you look at the player, you look at, you know, what university they went to. But what they're doing now is they're also adding an additional line, you know, the, the, the slash um, club academy is behind that. And you're seeing this this relationship. And so many, I would say a third out of all three rounds, were kind of backyard picks. For example, there was a kid that went uh, 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 Chicago Fire, Indiana University, Chicago Fire FC signing. So I, you know, and I was thinking of both programs, men's and women's, specifically because Slu, you guys are you guys are in the shadow of City Park, just straight down, you know, <laughs> literally, literally the shadow. Like yeah. you know, and I and I know Coach Kalish is already digging deep into City Academy players, committing the, the commitments are stacking up, and it's a matter of time that that slingshot goes back and forth. And so for you with you're the preeminent women's program in the region. Um, having that professional backdrop, even though it's only on the men's side right now, I personally think it's a matter of time. You, you got to feel pretty cool, like this is fun. And then knowing that you've got clubs like Fuse, like Gallagher, like uh, SDA that are that are doing all, all the early work, which brings me to my question. I'm getting off my soapbox here. When you came here, how long did it take you to really realize the value, the culture, the uh, legacy of St. Louis and its love affair with soccer? And now you're part of it. You, you're, 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 you're in that fabric. I don't know that it took long to realize. <laughs> you know, I think you're kind of smacked with it really quickly. We like to talk um, about it. I mean, Bill McDermott was a part of my uh, my head coaching interview process. Oh no way! Bill. Oh my gosh! And so you don't escape a conversation with him without you know any being indoctrinated. Um, but I think there was so. You know that, you know, even an outsider coming in, I mean, the Macrimon Trophy banquet, and it's just, it drips, and Herman Stadium being, you know, your home venue, it just, you're you're hit with it quickly. What I think our opportunity at, at SLU on the women's side was to make ourselves a part of it, because there wasn't, there was a bit of a vacuum other, outside of, like, Lori Klubney and Becky Sauerbrunn. There wasn't this great women's, at least at the college level, tradition, and so... You just kind of felt like you were trying to like make your <laughs> knock down that door to to make some room for the women's game, um, and and that took a long time, I think, to do. And to we're still we're still not there. We don't have a star. We're still trying to grow, you know, our place within that legacy. But it became more about you knew what it was, and you felt a level of expectation to try and live up to what that reputation was in St. Louis. This one's for the players. So I mean, many times there's parents listening, and usually on, they're on the way to like some tournament. Carpool, right? Carpool. Oh, yeah. they're on carpool. They're yeah. like, can you put on Kanye? <laughs> We're like, no, the parents are like, I want you to listen to this. I was like, but I'd like to try to get a, a hey, players, this one's for you. So whether, wherever you are in your journey, right? So any, like, you see it all, I bet, right? Like the, the different kinds of people that come up. I try to sometimes impress upon the teams I work with in on the mindset portion of, you know, I'm not trying to scare you, but I want you to know, and I, and I say this with respect, you're replaceable. Meaning, there was a time when women came up and through and there weren't as many. And so maybe sometimes you could be a stud player, but bad behavior was tolerated because it was like, well, they're really good. 
Now, even as good as a top player is, there's 10 others in the country. Like, it's not that hard. You're special, but you're also, there's a lot of specials. Between social media or whatever you see, you know, you, I get, I'm guessing you get the freshman in, it's like, oh, like, we got to work on this, or this freshman came in amazing. What, what were some of those attributes that a player could be working on now to make sure not only on their touches and their shot and that special, unique quality yeah. on the pitch, but maybe off the pitch? Yeah, I think there's a level of their indep- their ability to be like independent um, and take care of their own stuff and be a communicator. Um, carry your own bag. Carry your own bag, but also <laughs> communicate with your coach. You know, if you're going to mispractice, you're the one calling coach or... Um, I do think, obviously, yeah, what you put, what is your, I hate to use it, but brand you're putting on social media. What is your, um, you know, what are your, what are your teachers, what are your teammates say about you? And that's because it does matter, apparently, it right? matters. And I will say it also predicts <laughs> success because, again, this is a marathon. It, it's not a sprint. And what we found is our most successful women and you can define success in a lot of ways, whether it's the academic, the social, the athletic, but our most successful women, they're usually successful in all their areas by the time they're done with us, but they came in as pretty established human beings, right? They, they, were, they knew how to take care of their stuff. They knew how to ask for help. Um, and they were incredibly mature um, in, in how they just carried themselves within the program. And that, that's not, we help it along and we grow it and we challenge it. But I, I think at the end of the day, if you're somebody who, again, can, can be authentically you um, and be a good teammate, be a good daughter, um, you're, gonna, you're already going to be at a really good jumping off point. Wow. So, so I want to get back into a little bit of the recruiting uh, because the college landscape is <laughs> rapidly evolving. Um, and you talked about the backyard and the advantage that you personally have with this program and having the clubs that are here that generate the type of talent they do. But the other two components right now, because it, it, standard recruiting in any other market, I'm leaving that out. What I'd like you to speak to uh, and give your opinion and your take on it is kind of that balance between your own desire to grow here in the backyard, uh, but then you have Transfer Portal, which is becoming the new hot tool for unhappy player, yeah, <laughs> players. Yeah, I didn't even know about that and, until recently. And But the third leg oh. is international players. So, because I know on the men's side especially... It's massive on the men's side. So on the women's side, it's... I, I, have a feeling that is going to grow as well. So when you look at those three areas, for you, from a culture perspective, for a SLU women's program, how do you approach those three areas, you and Chris, uh, you know, and what do you see each of their roles being in your team growth over the next two, five, ten years? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think the you know, the, the youth, the homegrown, you know, the St. Louis, that's always going to be our bread and butter. The coming out of the youth clubs and, and especially within this region and just pushing our borders out a little bit. That's just what the profile of the school, the institution St. Louis is, the youth game here. And I, I that's always going to be a model that we keep you know, going into, I would say the transfer portal is definitely a evolving element of the recruiting. 
it's been incredibly, we're still getting our arms around it in some ways, but what I will say is it's, we've been very thoughtful with the portal um, in a lot of ways. And if anything, the portals, it has opened up some freedom, but it's also, it's, it's, sh it's showing what culture is in a given program because we've got, you know, a bunch of fifth with this COVID year, we've had fifth and sixth years and they're for the by and large, they're staying with us. And I think that speaks to the culture and the environment that they feel like this is a place where I'm continuing to grow and find success. The portal has been great for one reason. You know, we do have, there are some St. Louis women, that we recruit on the front end, maybe they think they want to go away or they want a big, shiny football experience. And they they realize that might not be what's it for them. And we've been very fortunate to get them to then come back home to us and shine. And, uh, you know, we had, I think we were starting last year for women who tra had transferred back to us or kind of quote back home the, the, that were originally they on were, your radar they were absolutely yeah women we had in the greater st louis area we had recruited them heavily out of high school they chose to go somewhere else and then within a year or two they were back in, in our roster that's pushing you know that's a top 20 roster and and they are helping us elevate you know again with what we are we've been fortunate to sign to in this off season, um, same idea. And so the portal has been, it's been great to us. I think, you know, it, it does, you do have to at times recruit your own players. And I, I don't love some of the underbelly of maybe some of these football schools poaching, you know, non-football school You mean players. SEC money? Yeah, I, I don't love some of that <laughs> that I, I do believe, I don't think it's going on in our program, but I, I know it's going on in some others. And, and so that's, but again, you're going to have an underbelly in one way or another. You know, the international game, it, again, I, it's big on the men's side. I do think it will grow on the women's. I, I don't know if it will ever be the bread and butter of the St. Louis University women's program. Um, you're just taking a lot of risk when you bring in an international. It usually requires a full scholarship. It's a, how the athleticism translates is a big unknown. And, you know, culturally in the locker room, it can be great, but it, it also, it, it can be really challenging when you have a roster that is very heavily saying, you know, you feel maybe a little bit ostracized. I don't know. And so I think, I'm not saying never, but it's it's not going to, at this institution, there are places that I think it makes a ton of sense. My alma mater on the women's side has gone heavily international. Harvard's a global brand. It makes a lot of sense. And right. they've found a model for success there. But again, I, I don't think it's going to be our, our model at SLU. You know, you've said it before, culture. Uh, at one point in time when you guys were in the travel grind, um, you were just really traveling. And then, of course, they go school, right? They have oh, sure, school, yeah. right? And they and take the toughest majors They imaginable. do. And, and yeah. you were talking about, you, you. I think you specifically said, you know, you look to encourage the players to pour into each other, which in order to do that, and get yourself, that's such a condensed schedule, right? We know MLS is hard, but it's over a lot of months, right? There's a lot of grind over a long months. That's a grind for college in a short, condensed time. Four months. With a ton of school, ton of demands, and then pouring into one another has got to be because you have a culture and a system of, like you said, accountability and a thing that, that we know, like, hey, maybe this particular player is not, not putting forth what we know she needs us right now. And Hopefully, I'm sure you're, for your athletes to do it before you do it. How do you create that? And, I, and I'm thinking of this in a way, too, of we've got a youth environment where we know some of the best teams in the youth are like teams that are bonded, right? Not just because the parents go out and have a drink after the game, right? But not just because they go, they go to Panera and, and eat our, our mellow mushroom and eat some pizza, but that they are actually, they, they, they care about. Now you have to be best friends, but you're also the youth 
I think sometimes we're like, I'm also though competing for a spot with this player I'm trying to bond and support. And for some, it can be really difficult to figure that out. How do you make that happen? Yeah, I think a great example, you know, is the Luf the 07 Lufuse Bryant, Lindsey Bryant's Lindsay's, team, yeah. right? And they've been together for ages together. But I think just using that as a good youth example, and then hopefully our program is there's a level of, there's an intentionality um, to the people that are brought into the program, the recruiting process. Um, but then we, we do a lot of early, I mean, you, you read a book before you come in our program. Every, everybody who's come in in the last nine years has read the same book and it's passed down and it is a, it's called Legacy. It's New Zealand All Blacks, Lessons in Leadership. And it's what our culture is modeled after. So before you walk into our locker room day one, You've read what the expectation well, is. You better have. <laughs> well, yeah, you're, you're quizzed upon it to get your gear. Yeah, um, God, I love that. So there's accountability. Yeah, so, so, when, so when the recruit comes in and says, I love swimming too, you're like, wrong book. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, yes. And, and I think, but we try to make it accessible, right? And then it, it's not just something you read once and you, you put down for four years, right? You're, you're consistently picking, going back to it. And so I think when you have that common... We also have, uh, you know, we have this mountain that we look at every season as a climb up the mountain. And so you have these com this common language, these common goals, common values. It becomes a lot easier, right, to um, to function in a high, in, a, in elite environment. But the forefront of everything, it has to be joyful. Like, it has to be fun. And I think Lindsay Bryant does that really well on the youth side. Again, I think we've always kept that as a consistent thread. But then the women that we're attracting, they want... They like to win. They like to be challenged. They like to, and so to also then create a, a very competitive daily environment that keeps them kind of coming back for more. It isn't for everybody, our environment, because it is it is so competitive. But you're fighting for time. At the same time, you're also required to be supportive of each other. It's, but I want I want that time from you. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's we we try to model like a servant leadership culture but that's always going to be a dance that's always going to be a challenge but i think if you're if you're clear on expectation you're clear on we always we, we're very much an open book with our staff we tell we tell them why we meet with every individual player on the team once a week so if you're going to be mad upset with somebody be upset with me not with your teammate and, and i think again the more you educate the more you teach then you're not everyone's going to love their experience but um, every minute of their experience but at the end of the day i hope they respect it and they recognize their growth as they go through it so I would be remiss if I didn't bring up this this subject real quickly, and we don't need to spend a lot of time on it, but I just want to get your brief opinion, uh, because within the youth landscape, especially at the higher competitive levels, there's there's a uh, there's always been a little bit of a debate, but it's really grown since exclusivity has came into the conversation, that being club versus high school. And I see the grin, and I see the shaking of the head. Yes. I wasn't going to ask you that. No, I'm glad you asked me this. I am. I'm so glad you asked me. And, and, and I, let me preface this. I understand that there is, there is a difference between uh, opportunity and landscape and institutions between the, the, the men's side and the women's side, especially here in St. Louis. Yeah. So let me just qualify that. On the women's side, in your opinion, as a power collegiate program that is con looks to be continuing to rise what is your take on club players that are playing like on that 07 fuse team um that bounce out for two three months out of the year four months out of the year whatever the time is versus those that would have the potential to stay in 
and keep going. And uh, real quick, uh, it's funny that you asked that because I was just at, it was like a little parent happy hour, like get together without our players. And, and there was the big discussion that kind of came up. It's like, so Maren's a freshman and we didn't have to work with this last year. Some of her team is uh, sophomores, so they've already done it. And it was a, it kind of went around the table. It's like, what's she going to do? What's she going to do? And everybody gave really good reasons for either one choice or so, the other. And I was like, oh, these are like, I can see your point and I can see your point for doing the opposite. Crazy. Uh, we are pretty bullish uh, in our program about what we believe. We strongly, strongly encourage play high school soccer. Play it. Um, for a lot of reasons. One, Chris, our associate head coach, he was a, he was the Webster uh, high school girls soccer coach for 10 years. So, you know, right. he's obviously, and that's where I found him um, and, and brought him into SLU. But the reason being, uh, there's a couple things. One, you are playing with uh, athletes of all different ages. So as a freshman, you're playing against, you know, older 17, 18 year olds, which is very similar to what you're going to go do in college as a freshman, go play against 22 year old women. It's a, there's an athletic jump there. And so, you know, that's just the challenge it presents. The second being go represent your school, your community, even if it's a private school, but go represent, you're a part of that community. It's a unique, some of the high school crowds will be bigger than some of these women will ever play in front of in college. And it, right. it's a pretty special experience there. The other piece is high school soccer can give you tools and, um, opportunities that maybe a club environment stifles. And the best the best example I'll give is Emily Gaby. I go back to her, kind of Lufu's product. She's from Union, Missouri. She went to Union High School. And uh, Union was not known to be a, hey, you know, girls soccer powerhouse by any means. But what Emily learned how to do is score goals in all different ways because it was Emily versus the world. Get her the ball and she'd just slice and dice. It'd be 1v5, 1v6. And I'll be honest, and I'd say this if she was sitting across from me, I was not sold on Emily as a youth player in the club atmosphere. I was kind of like, ah, does it fit? Does it work? And Chris was like, go watch her play high school soccer. Go watch her play. I go, I go drive my, you know, drive myself out to <laughs> drive Union. Down, and drive down, down, down there. Farty far. Down farty far. <laughs> and uh, I would watch Emily score three, four, five goals a game. And my God, it was something special. And my, it's exactly the player we now are seeing absolutely dominate the college scene. I mean, we were playing against... Georgetown, Penn State, and NCAA tournament, and those coaches are like, where did you find her? I mean, she was making all American center backs look like children because of her abilities. And, and so, <laughs> Did you again, say just past Six Flag Mid-America? <laughs> just, exactly. <laughs> down, yeah. down Union, uh, which has a pet cow named Winston. It's a lovely, uh, <laughs> lovely story. Um, but, again, without that high school... Now, she played for Lufus, you know, and she, she was on a very... I think they were a USYS national championship team. And nothing against that team, but like she didn't have those same opportunities to develop her game in the club setting because she was more defined to a given role than she was kind of given free reign in the high school Which setting. Just funny because my next question was yeah. the debate then between, you know, a couple of them had kids in private school. You know, it's like, oh, well, I, that makes sense for you because it's St. Joe or Narex or who, you know, somebody that's a power. And then others are like, I'm playing for this other school, which is a public school, and we have. Like, like there's no point because the, it, it's, it'll be terrible. We're just going to get hammered. And I thought, oh, is that the deciding factor? Meaning like 
play for your high school if they're good, but don't if they're not? Apparently, no. Go make them good. If you're that, if you have that aspiration to be an elite, a top 25 college soccer player, a someday professional, if you are that talented to play at that level, you should be able to significantly impact whether you're a defender, goalkeeper. It doesn't significantly impact your high school environment to a level um, to a significant change. Wow. I'm a huge. We are we are bullish about play high school you, soccer. You know, you just stirred the pot. I know. I'm sorry, club coaches. <laughs> I love he, you dearly. He, he loves it. He loves it. Don't let him fool no, you. No, look, I, I am. I we am. have to keep getting more perspectives, though. It's good. We only get better when we hear more. I like. I heard a, just a ton of different, really good reasonings around a bar table about why I will, why we, she will or why she won't. I was like, he's okay. I I understand. Yeah. Can I add one more piece Please. to it too? Is Go play games that matter. So few club games you play, actually the outcome, it doesn't matter. High school games, there's something to be won. There's a league, there's a district, there's a sectional, there's a (laughs) a state. Which mirrors, as you stated earlier, the college game. So unless you're Alex Pfeiffer, play high school soccer. (laughs) Love it. Katie Shields, I finally got her. Yay. (laughs) See, it wasn't that painful. It was awesome. Thanks, you guys. (laughs) She's like, "Uh, drink, please. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I heard there was an open tab. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm thoroughly impressed. It was a pleasure meeting you, uh, you know, for myself. Um, You know, just really the best of luck moving forward. I know you guys, with the, the recent success and the growing brand that you're building i mean the recruiting is getting a little bit easier for you guys uh just in, different uh, ponds it's yeah. all hard in, in, yeah. inbound phone calls i'm assuming you've picked up quite a bit we're doing or text okay. do you get <laughs> calls yeah. or texts yeah. or <laughs> everything yeah well best of luck um you. you know in the new year going into year and spring season you got to go find more players and do all that so wish you wish you nothing but the best thank you both thank you, you do awesome work thank you so much Jin. thank you thank you and thank you mellow mushroom absolutely i'm gonna order a pizza you are same kind yep every time i'm like i'm ordering something new i'm like no nah, okay oh, i tell you this exact last time we were here yeah he ordered mushroom soup what yeah no that's what it. i know uh, okay well w- if, when you guys record here just tell zach go, go sit over there and yep. i'll sit in for him it's no fine. he's in time <laughs> all right we'll catch you guys Everybody, next time, Soccer Mom Sunday's out of here. See you soon. Bye.